Okay, uh, I'm going to finish this morning. I'm going to be talking about Elisha, Old Testament prophet, and some of his miracles. And we're going to finish up, and I have saved the best for last. I love this miracle. And as we unpack it, man, this is just a cooker. Uh, I think that this miracle applies to so many different... We could, we could break down this miracle for the rest of the year. So much, uh, so many possibilities, so many implications from it. I'm just going to kind of start to break it open a little bit and, and point out a few things. And then hopefully you'll take it and you'll just marinate in it. And uh, over the next few uh, weeks, as, as you continue to think about this miracle and soak it in, you'll find other implications for your life. So we're going to do that this morning. I'm really excited about it. Um, remember, uh, as, as we take in this miracle, number one, the ancients would hold these stories to be both true and symbolic. Yes, the ancient Eastern uh, Jew, they would say, is, is this now, did this really happen or is this symbolic? And they would probably say yes, because they believed them both to be real stories with real people and real places and symbolic. And I think that when you take that approach, they, they really come alive. Also remember that this is a story about an oppressed people. This is the, the Hebrew tribe, the Israelites, and, and they just got smacked down again and again and again by empires. They were oppressed. So this is a story involving underdogs and, and the strong and the weak and all that. So Maggie Romano is going to come up and read for me. And I want to encourage, this is, a long, this is a long one, okay? So as she reads, focus on the details because the power of this story is in the details. Take it away, Maggie. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was also a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria? He, could, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went... And, and told his lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, ah, sorry, when this letter reaches you, know that I have said to you, Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man sends words to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, and he may, and may know, uh, and he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place to, and cure the leper. 
Are not Abana and Fafpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. From now on, your servant will not uh, offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimenon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimen, uh, when I bow myself in the house of Rimen, let the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. Thank you, Maggie. I give you a ton to read. I appreciate it. <clears throat> now, what I'd like to do is to kind of break that open. And again, this, is, this miracle is inexhaustible. You can find new truths continually through it, and I hope you'll, you'll stay with it because it's certainly worth it and has... Just so many trickle-down implications. So let's start with uh, mercy coming from a human being in this story. Because really, this is a story of God's grace. God's mind-blowing, scandalous grace. And who's in and who's out and all that. Uh, let's start with the human side of grace. Now, <clears throat> to appreciate what's going on in this story, you have to remember that the Israelite people had been beaten down again and again and again by different uh, empires, uh, starting with uh, the Egyptians and then going on to hear this newly forming Assyrian empire. And, and there's this backdrop of scripture that's important because we can overlook it. And that it starts with the Tower of Babel and its empire, oppressive empire against the underdog and then ultimately against God. Oppressive empire. And, and one of the this is important because uh, one of the reasons we, we miss those subtle undertones in scripture even not so subtle undertones, is because we are a part of the most powerful empire and the most resourced military that has ever lived. You this morning, if you are at the poverty, the American poverty level, you're still in the top 97% of everybody who's ever lived or is living now. That's how well-resourced we are as an empire. But this, these scriptures are really about the constant battle between empire and those they oppress and God's uh, love for the underdog and all of that. So keep in mind, when we look at power, this scripture has a lot to say about power and weak and strong. There's a juxtaposition. First time I've ever used that word in a sermon. Yay me. There's a juxtaposition. There's a, there's a crazy, like it's in that weak and strong that we see the grace of God because you have the servant girl and you have three of the most powerful people uh, on the planet. So, so think about the hero nature of this or the power nature of this. You have uh, a king of an emerging Assyrian empire. 
very, one of the most powerful human beings on the planet that's in this story. Then you have his military commander, his right-hand man, the guy who got him his power is in this story, obviously one of the most skilled, powerful people on the planet. Then you have the king of Israel, positionally, very powerful uh, role. Then you have Elisha, who's like the gatekeeper of God's miracles and speaks on behalf and acts on behalf of God, very powerful. But this miracle comes to us first through who? Through a little servant girl, through a Hebrew servant girl who has nothing going for her. If there is ever an underdog, it was her. So she was a Hebrew, which was at that time a defeated race in exile. She was female in a male-dominant culture. She was a child, and she was a slave. She had all the strikes against her in her day and time. But God chose in this story to bring the miracle through the lowest person on the totem pole in the story. Now, if anybody had an excuse for bitterness, to be angry, to hold a grudge, it was her. She was ripped from her family. She had to serve somebody. Uh, she had to serve the enemy, the person who probably ripped her away. And, and she could have easily, now that, that this man um, has uh, this illness, she could have just let it go and enjoyed watching him, knowing I could get him healed, but I'm not going to. Like, she could have held a grudge. She could have lived in bitterness, but she doesn't. She's watchful. She's willing to serve. And because of that, the miracle of this story is birthed through her and her generosity and her grace. And her story lives on because she was not overwhelmed by bitterness, but rather lived in this sphere of incredible grace. So you might ask yourself in this story, uh, where am I? What would I have done? And maybe you need to ask uh, some close friends. Don't ask your spouse because they won't be honest with you. Do I hold a grudge or am I gracious? Like seriously, don't ask your spouse that. Do I hold a grudge or am I gracious? Because God's activity here starts from a place of grace. And then she held a grudge. Maybe she could have at least got the satisfaction of seeing him not healed. But her story would never have been told. But it lives on because she was a part of an incredible act of God. And think about all that was changed. Like this guy goes back now, a believer. What was the trickle-down impact from her act of grace? See, this story kind of flips it all upside down. Uh, she, could have, she could have just accepted her role as forgotten by God as the underdog, as the abused. But because she was willing, God used her. She was actually like God had her right where he wanted her. She wasn't out of the game. She was in the game and ready to do something great for God because she was willing. So that's one of the first. It also speaks volumes about like <clears throat> in the ancient world, um, the, the, the almost overwhelming uh, majority of humans believe that that sort of a fatal kind of a fatalistic um, 
your position in earth was fixed and earned and judgment. Like you're a king because God wants you to be a king because your, your family has pleased him and you have nothing uh, or are in need because God is against you because you have not pleased God. And it was, it was, but here, the person who was the most spiritually mature, like the most gracious person and merciful person was this servant girl. Elisha doesn't even seem to really want to have to do this miracle. But this servant girl didn't have to, but chose to spoke to, to speak to this person, uh, to speak to Naaman, and, and so he could be healed. Whereas the king of Israel, who you would think would be pretty high on God's list, he doesn't even have the faith that this servant girl. So the point is, it introduced a new idea about circumstance into human consciousness. Because in this story, the most spiritually mature was actually in the lowest place. Because it tells you that you can never look at your circumstances or at the circumstances of anybody and assume God's judgment. They may be the lowest of the low and yet represent the greatest source of spiritual wisdom in any given room. And this was a brand new idea that these scriptures introduced to human consciousness. See, I get excited about stuff like that when I see how the Bible spoke into humanity even before it was ready. So um, let's look, let's move on. If those are stories about humans who show mercy, what we also see through this story is the God who shows mercy. Now, Elisha represents the voice of God as the prophet of Israel. People look to him like you would, uh, many, many do the Pope. Okay, he was like God's representative on earth. And, and when he speaks, God speaks, and what he does, God does, as far as the ancients were concerned, who respected Elisha and looked at him as a prophet. So Naaman, this uh, political leader, this global political leader, this very powerful person, has to come to him for healing. Think about the opportunity that this would have created for a lot of things. This could have been like a finally, the oppressor has to come to the nobody or to the oppressed and this would be a great chance for Naaman to speak truth, to lower the boom. But instead, he offers healing. What's happened? Naaman comes in in this motorcade. He's all, you know, like Ric Flair pomp. He's, you know, private plane and, and alligator shoes. And he comes up. He's a big deal. And he comes with the motorcade. And you see Elisha just kind of stick his head out to the first servant and say, just tell him to go dip. And that's it. Now, there's a little bit of disrespect there, and I love that in, in these stories about the prophets. The prophets are often uncomfortable with God's grace. <clears throat> like God's ready to forgive and heal, and, and they're like, really? Come on. And then they do it because it's like, you know, like they have to. And I always appreciate that in the voice of the prophets, but also in it, when, it, when it comes to grace. But, but um, uh, think about the, the political implications of this and just how vast the grace of God is here. Because this was scandalous. Elisha could have finally stood up for the Hebrew race and set things straight and changed the world. 
but instead he peeks his head out and says, yeah, go get your healing by dipping in the river and shuts the door. Think about that. Think about how frustrating that would be if you were a Hebrew. Let's, let's, let's think about this. Let's pretend. <coughs> pretend that all of a sudden, and unfortunately I don't seem to have this gift, but all of a sudden God gives me the gift of healing and I can put my hands on someone, pray for them, anoint them with oil, whatever, and they are healed. And it's well known throughout the region that I can do this. <coughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that person comes down with a terminal illness. Who are they? Who represents systematic evil to you? Is it Donald Trump? Is it Hillary Clinton? Is it Ben Roethlisberger? Is it the guy that talks with his mouth full at Panera? Who is it? <coughs> you got it in your head who it is. Who is it? And they have terminal, a terminal illness, and now it's out that they're coming to my house for healing. The camera crews are there. The news crews are there. They're, they're, you're like, oh, he can lower the boom. Alex has the chance now to really like that. Like, this is a global leader, and, and there's systematic evil, and, and he, can, he can, I want to see this and this and this and this and this if you want this healing. Alex can set him right on, on um, uh, gay rights, on gun control, on, on, on immigration, on um, whatever, whatever the issues are, and it's going to be exactly the way you see it that I'm going to say, and it's going to be God speaking, and it's going to correct all this stuff, and he has a chance to do it. And, and the first uh, secret service comes up to drive, and I just poke my head out and say, hey, tell them to go dip in Brunswick Lake, and they'll be healed. Shut the door, and that's it. <laughs> like, there would be some people, very, I would take some serious heat from that, right? Doesn't that kind of imply that they're, they're okay? Like, I missed an opportunity? Like, what? you could have... Uh, what? That's this story. That is the scandalous grace of this story is that rather than lower the boom, Elisha just says, here's how you can be healed. And that's it. That's it. See the scandalous grace in that story? I mean, like, while I... I I'm uncomfortable with it because it kind of shatters who's in, who's out. What? What? Like, everything was wrong about that empire. And this was an opportunity to fix it. But instead, God just offers healing because he loves Naaman. Now, one more aspect of this story that... <coughs> this, this, you know, you could title this sermon Messy Grace or truckload of grace or truckload of messy grace or whatever. I mean, this is like, um, this is a kind of grace that irritates me a little bit because it just blurs and blows up all the categories and lines. Okay, after the miracle, <clears throat> Naaman comes back to Elisha and tries to offer him payment to which Elisha says no. Then he says, okay, I got two things I got to run by you, Elisha. And remember, Elisha is the God figure in the story. He speaks on behalf of God. He says, number one, I would like two uh, mule loads. I'd like to pack as much dirt as I can on two mules and take it back with me. Why does he want to do that? Because he believes that the Hebrew God is God. And if he worships the Hebrew God, he believes he needs to have dirt from Israel there with him. Because the ancient belief was God was the God of a region. 
And God was loyal to the dirt of that region and the race that lived on the dirt of that region. So he kind of says, hey, there's one God, and I now know that, but I need some dirt from here over there so that he'll go over there. Now, was that right? No. God omnipresent, God omnipowerful, the God who you can't run from, who's everywhere, who's all-seeing and all-knowing. And, and, and Elisha could have been like, hold on, dude. No, you can't have dirt because that's bad theology. And, you know, you're, you're containing God as a... As, like, he could have explained that, and, but he doesn't. And the next thing he says is even worse. He says, and I got this problem, Elisha. I'm going to go back to this pagan culture and I'm going to have to go in this temple and I'm going to have to bow down to a false god with the king. I'm going to have to what looks like worship. Now this would have been a wonderful opportunity for Elisha to delineate clear theology to Naaman or to say something like, you got to pick, dude. you got to choose sides. Are you in or are you out? The real god, the false god. Don't be wishy-washy. What is it? Instead, you know what he says? He says, shalom. Peace be with you, or go in peace, which is very similar. Throw this out there. It's almost like he says, it's all good. It's all good. Now, clearly, there's like right, and there's wrong, and there's truth, and there's... But, but Elisha, rather than, than... It's almost like he says, and he doesn't say this, but it's almost like he says... I know it's tough, I know it's messy, I know it's a process, I know it's a journey, I know you got to figure things out. Go in peace. See, what this story says is that when we try to follow God, number one, we're, the Bible says that, that God's ways are as high above us as the, the heavens are, the stars are above us. And, and so, like... The person that thinks they have it figured out and should have it figured out is still just barely scratching the surface of God. But Elisha seems to say that we should find peace on our journey as we try to figure things out. And that makes me a little uncomfortable. But that's kind of what unfolds in the story. So you... As you start to think about your situation and your walk with God, you may wonder, you know, I got all the stuff that I've done. I don't know where I'm at. I, got all, I'm, I'm, I don't know a thing about the Bible. I don't know this. I don't know that. I've been here. I've been here. I've been here. I, it, it's sometimes tempting to just go, I, yeah, I, I can't. I'm not ready. But what this story says is you don't have to have it all figured out. God loves that you are on the journey. And sometimes... When we admit we don't have it figured out, we have it more figured out than the person who thinks they have it all figured out. And so this story is an invitation to just run to God and enjoy your journey figuring all of this out. So we're going to do one last song. And, uh, and, and then during this song, I, I want to invite you to, to just lay down in the, I mean, not lay down there. Actually, you can stand. Let's stand. But we're going to lay in this story. We're going to marinate in this story of messy grace. Grace that makes us uncomfortable. Grace that is scandalous. Enjoying a God who loves us enough to say, let's just figure this out together. Shalom. Go in peace, live in peace while we're on this journey 
with the unfathomable God of the universe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for stories like this that show that you love us. No matter how far we are, no matter how much we don't get or don't fit, you love us. You love in ways that our categories can't grasp or contain. And just when we think we have who's in and who's out, you blow the whole thing up with your grace. I would rather have that because I need that. Without your grace... We have no hope, but we have great hope with the kind of grace that you show us in these scriptures. So we're thankful for that in Jesus' name. Amen.